This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Many, many years ago, when I was younger and I had more hair on the top of my head than I did on my chin, I was a, I was a youth pastor and our youth group was called DNA because we wanted our youngsters to have God's DNA, but we told them that to have DNA meant that you were different and not average. Don't be an average teenager. Be different. Be prepared to stand out because what it means to be a Jesus follower. Well, this morning is episode 134 in our epic series, The Promise and the Purpose, exploring the story of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So a little reminder of the story so far. Let's kind of go back to the beginning. It's a journey that starts with a single step of faith. Abraham, chosen by God, ventures off into the unknown, trusting in a divine promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach, and he would come into a land of prosperity. And his faith lays a foundation for a nation that was destined to carry a light into the world. Now, Abraham had a grandson. His name was Jacob. He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He faced his own trials. And he taught us that even those who are chosen must wrestle with life's challenges, sometimes even with God himself, in order to find our purpose and the strength to pursue it. From these 12 Hebrew boys comes 12 tribes, and Joseph emerges an arrogant little upstart who matures into a beacon of integrity and forgiveness. Betrayed into slavery by his own brothers, he rises to greatness, not by trusting in his dreams, but in the God who gives them and interprets them. The story of Joseph is a testament to the power of reconciliation and song. If you're a lover of Andrew or Lloyd Webber. Um, And he forgives those same brothers who wronged him, preserving the future of Israel. Joseph, he ends up as prime minister of Egypt, and he guides the nation through a great famine, saving many lives, including his own brothers and their families when they settle into Egypt. So the Hebrews live. They multiply in Egypt, but as decades turned into centuries, prosperity turned into bondage, and they are enslaved by the rulers who have forgotten Joseph's service to the nation. Their cries for deliverance rise up before the Lord God and he calls upon Moses, a humble man, to lead his people out of captivity. And Moses, though he is reluctant, he becomes an instrument of God's will, showing us that it's not our own strength, but our willingness to be used by God that can cause miracles of deliverance. And confronting Pharaoh, Moses demands freedom for the Hebrews. And with each refusal comes a great plague, revealing that no earthly power can stand up to the justice of the Almighty. And the tenth plague 
is one of death that visits every home in Egypt, except it passes over the homes of the Hebrews. Warned by Moses, the Hebrews are ready. And this is what happens, as recounted in Exodus chapter 12. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instruction to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, then let them share with another family in the neighbourhood. Divide the fam- animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you, you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Now, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this month. Then, the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat that animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Don't eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, the internal organs, it must all be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat this meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. And on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must come together and observe an official day for a holy assembly. No work of any kind must be done on these days except for the preparation of food. So celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law to you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. And during those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. And these regulations, they apply both to foreigners living among you and to the native-born Israelites. And during those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. 
So then Moses, he called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, go, pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin and take a hyssop branch. Dip it in the blood and brush the hyssop across the tops and the sides of the door frames of your houses. And no one may go out through that door until the morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house or to strike you down. So remember. Remember these instructions. They are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. And when you enter the land that the Lord has promised you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. And when, he'd finished, when Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. And so the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded. Well, that was a long reading, wasn't it? But... It sets out the whole context for this feast of Passover. It explains what is going on. It is the backdrop to the final days of Jesus' life. He had come to Jerusalem along with most of the other Jews who could travel there in order to celebrate this feast of Passover or unleavened bread. And as Jesus' story rushes towards the climax of his cross and his resurrection, this story is in the minds of everyone around him, including his disciples. Here's a a picture of a modern Passover meal, all set up as it will be celebrated today by a Jewish family. They still celebrate this meal. And I want to explore some of the meaning and symbolism of the Passover feast before we continue into Luke's Gospel, because this cultural backdrop of the Passover will help us understand the events that are about to unfold in the life of Jesus. Now, one of the things that really struck me for the first time as I was rereading this Exodus story was this, from verse 19. So, during those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat bread made without yeast. Now, at first glance, that just reads possibly like a simple symbol, a reminder that In their rush to leave, the Hebrews had no time to leave their bread to prove. Poor Hollywood would not be impressed. It could not rise. There was no yeast in it, it, or no leaven, as it's sometimes called. But there's a bit more going on here, I think. Just think about some of the practical applications of this command. Okay, This command to the Hebrews is not simply saying, don't bake or buy normal bread but eat flat, crispy matzos wafers. That's not what this is about. It's not a command to make a small adjustment to your weekly shopping habits. The command is this. There must be no trace of yeast in your homes. And I thought, I wonder how hard that is to achieve. How hard would it be to remove every trace of yeast from my house this week 
I mean, so getting rid of bread would be reasonably straightforward. Just clear out the bread bin and then wash it to remove all the crumbs because a crumb of bread would be a trace of yeast. They've got a completely clean bread bin <laughs> for the first time in a long time. Um, <laughs> but then you've got to go through the freezer, make sure there's no baked goods in there that have been made with yeast. Pizza, that's out. Pizza dough is made with yeast. Some cheeses contain yeast. Dried fruit, do you know that? Contains yeast. Biscuits often contain yeast. Yogurt, buttermilk, they're all out. No more pancakes for breakfast. Beer is out. Wine is out. It's all made with yeast. Vinegar is out, as is anything that's made with vinegar, like ketchup. Breakfast cereals often contain yeast. So actually, that's probably a good few hours' work, isn't it? Working your way through the kitchen and the freezer and the fridge, going through all your cupboards to get rid of those items. And then I thought about my baking cupboard. I bake a little bit of bread occasionally, and I've got a shelf in my cupboard that contains most of the dry ingredients, including one or two packets of dried yeast. There must be no trace of yeast in your house. Have you ever seen baker's yeast? Here's a little picture of baker's yeast. It's, It's like a really, really fine powder. It's very light, and it sticks to everything due to static electricity. Gets everywhere which means to get to not a trace of yeast in my home, it's not just a case of throwing out those yeast packets. I'm going to have to empty that whole cupboard to find every grain of yeast that has come loose and been spilt and got stuck onto things as I was baking and gone back into the cupboard. In fact, the the cupboard had to be scrubbed clean from top to bottom (laughs) to get every tiny bit of yeast out of all the nooks and crannies. So now that day's work to clearing out the cupboards is probably a couple of days' work to remove all the traces of yeast from the kitchen. I mean, imagine the mess. All the cupboards open, ready to be scrubbed and cleared out, all the baking things out, scrubbing everything down to avoid all that yeast. Then because I'm a sensible person, you think, well, that's quite wasteful. So probably what you need to do is start adjusting your shopping a couple of weeks beforehand to make sure you're not buying stuff with yeast in that could be left still uneaten come Passover week. So now this is a project that takes several weeks to complete. And you're being constantly vigilant now. Is there any yeast in the things that I'm buying and bringing into my home that might go unnoticed? I've got to seek it out. I've got to clean it out. I've got to stop it coming in. It's a lot of work. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes diligence to remove every trace of yeast from your home. And then I was pondering this. I remembered that yeast so often is used in Scripture as a metaphor for sin. And I just thought about how that metaphor could extend to our lives as we strive to live holy lives before God as followers of Jesus and how that clearing out of the larder, the emptying of the cupboards, the scrubbing them clean, being vigilant for weeks beforehand not to let any yeast sneak into the house. Is that how diligent we ought to be all the time to make sure there's no trace of sin in our lives? Nothing sneaking in when we're not paying attention. Being vigilant about what I'm bringing into my home, the things I watch, the things I read, the things I listen to. 
I think the annual ritual of cleansing the house of yeast is a powerful reminder of how we need to keep applying our minds and our hearts to keep them clean before God. You know, we're just a couple of weeks away from Advent. What a good time to prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus by giving our hearts and minds and attitude a good clean out to remove any yeast that's sticking in the nooks and the crannies. And I wonder if that metaphor was in the mind of Jesus and his disciples at the time. Certainly, if you remember what Lydia was saying last week, that Jesus was warning his disciples about the dangers of sin creeping in, wasn't he? He said, verse 34 of Luke 21, Jesus said, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Watch out for the yeast. Don't let that sin in. Which is a really long introduction (laughs) to today's scripture. Which, due to the blessings and provisions of God, is only two sentences long. Luke 22. So now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that's Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. So the disciples, the whole Jewish nation, were getting ready to celebrate Passover. That reminder of how Yahweh had saved his people out of slavery, leading them out from under a brutal and oppressive regime. And I'm sure many ordinary Jews were looking at the occupying Roman army and wondering when their exodus was going to come to save them out from underneath the Romans. Could this Jesus really be the long-awaited Messiah who's going to lead them to victory over their oppressors? Jesus was becoming increasingly popular with the general population. The crowds were following him. They were listening to his teaching. They were enjoying him poking fun and criticising the chief priests the religious scholars, all of the the Jewish establishment. And so, not unsurprisingly, the establishment wanted to shut him up and shut him down. They saw Jesus as a threat and not a saviour. They wanted him gone. How ironic that during the week of preparing to celebrate God's saving of the Hebrews from slavery, the Jewish leaders were trying to get rid of God's saviour who'd come to save them from slavery to the law. Now the chief priests, they had their own private police force, the temple guards. And the only reason they'd not arrested Jesus already was his popularity with the crowds and the general population. They feared an uprising if they arrested this popular figure. What what they needed was an inside man. What they needed was a traitor from inside Jesus' inner circle who could lead him into a trap away from public scrutiny. And next week, we'll find out exactly how that comes to pass. But for now, for this week, just ponder that image of emptying out the kitchen cupboards and scrubbing them clean to remove all trace of yeast, being mindful about what you're bringing into your home, and ask the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to those areas of your life that could do with a clear out. That could do with a scrub. 
spring clean for the soul. It's what we need. So as the band comes to prepare for our final song, let's pray. Father God, I pray that we all would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.